It's lights out, and away we go. Welcome to an American's Guide to Formula One. Now let's start the show. All right, let's start the show indeed. And boy, is this a good show we got lined up for you today. I'm so excited. We have a really, really special guest, Jimmy Reed. Is that how you say your last name, Jimmy? Yeah, yeah, Reed. R-E-I-D, yep. Awesome. I'll put it in the, they'll definitely be sure to spell it correctly when uh, we put it in the episode description. And uh, and once again, I'm also joined in person with Papa T-Sauce. Yeah. And boy, we are so excited. Um, Jimmy, thank you so much for your time and, and coming on an American's Guide to Formula One. I'm so happy to have you. Yeah, well, happy to do it, Andy, for sure. So, well, let's let let the people know who are listening in, uh, who you are, how you got involved in Formula One, and uh, and just take it away. Let tell us about how you got into this awesome sport. Well, I tell you, I was uh, born in 1951, um, and in '61, I think some of your older viewers will remember this. There was a great World Championship, two Ferraris. Uh, Phil Hill from California, Wolfgang, Wolfgang von Trips from Germany, fought it out. And then a uh, uh, bad fatal accident at Monza where Trips hit, uh, going into the Parabolica, Trips hit uh, Jimmy Clark, went up the bank, killed, I think, 11 spectators and was uh, also killed. Uh, Phil Hill did not know that he had died when he finished the race. And, and that actually, he won the world championship uh, at that point. But very exciting season. Like the one uh, this year. This year, I think best ever. But if you were to if you were to add some others, you'd have to put that one in there, especially for an American, first American to win the oh, world yeah. championship. Um, and then, of course, did Hunt Loud in '76, another great one. But um, but anyway, the uh, I was addicted to it immediately. Beautiful Ferraris that year, the 156 Shark Nose Ferrari. Yeah, I was going to say those Very were the Shark Nose, weren't they? Beautiful, yeah. Uh, great Monaco race, a Nürburgring race, uh, Sterling Moss won at Monaco and a Lotus with the side pods, uh, the sides removed to kind of cool it down. But I, I just loved it right from the beginning. But there's no very, back in those days, you just couldn't get any information about it. Of course, I was only 10 years old, but um, it was not covered, Formula One not covered in the local papers. And you really had to kind of find it yourself. Um, how did you, how did you find out about it? How did you hear well, about I mean, it? Was, well, here they had CBS, uh, had a show called sports spectacular and they featured the, um, the world championship because it had an American driver in it. And, um, I remember watching that and, uh, you know, great season in American. Um, but that's how it kind of started for me. And then, Jimmy Clark came along. He was everybody's favorite driver uh, back then. Um, I actually met his mechanic, a fellow named Bob Dance, in 1980 when I was on the board of the Grand Prix Corporation up at Watkins Glen. I was in the. I can go into that later. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think in, we're gonna have. We're definitely gonna have to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, Jimmy Clark came along. Just a fantastic natural driver. Uh, starting in 62, almost won the world championship. Graham Hill won. Uh, I think he did. I've been trying, I might be mixing my world championships, but I think his car either lost oil or something. That might be the 64 season, but um, really just a wonderful driver and everybody's favorite. Won the Indy 565, 
Schoenel won it in 63. Uh, Parnelli Jones won it. His car was spewing oil, uh, and but they didn't black flag him. But he did win it in um, in 65. But you really had to dig not much information. Every once I used to I get you'd get Sports Illustrated, and every maybe once a year they'd have a, an article on Grand Prix racing. But um, that was really it. Um, and then I got addicted to it so much uh, in the 70s. Uh, I subscribed to um, well, and you know, Motorsport, an English magazine, and also. Um, uh, a, a, a French magazine called Sport Auto, which was uh, done by Jabby Crombach, who was the uh, who I used to see in the uh, in the pits in Montreal and Watkins Glen. Great French journalist. I think he lived with Jim Clark for a while. Um, and um, but just uh, but uh, you know, I spoke high school. I spoke high school French. I learned a little high school French, but I would actually translate the magazines just so I could get the. Um, get the information. And um, I know in your American podcast, you talk about trying to learn more about Formula 2. In that French magazine, you could follow people like Prost all the way up through the minor formula. Uh, and there was, remember, there was an article, uh, the American translation was, is Prost invincible? This is in the minor formulas. But um, really, uh, very, always very, I thought it was just a very exciting sport for all the reasons uh, you were going through in, in uh, you know, your podcast. I mean, it's just travel all over the world, kind of exotic places. Uh, all, it's just the drivers <laughs> at this point, all kind of handsome, good-looking drivers, beautiful women all around, oh, yeah. glamorous. Places. Yeah. And the sound, the whole thing is the sound of it, um, uh, the smell when you're there. I mean, the whole atmosphere is just kind of out of this world. Um, so I, I'm so happy you're bringing this you know, to an American audience, um, uh, because it's, uh, it's terrific. And it's really getting the exposure now through, um, uh, you know, the Netflix series and other things. Have you seen but, any of that Netflix series? Yeah, I've seen it all. It's just it's terrific. And, uh, also some of the, the documentaries they have now on Netflix on uh, Fangio, uh, who I, if I had to pick one all time favorite, he would really be it. He's also Jackie Stewart's, I think all time yeah. favorite. Uh, and also uh, Schumacher, which has a great, great ending. The, the ending montage when they roll the credits and he's going through Monaco on a lap and the cameras. Yeah, right, I was right actually kind of disappointed with the Schumacher documentary. I don't I didn't think I thought I was expecting more, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, you're a little bit yeah, just breaking up a bit. Oh, I'm, I think you might be breaking up here. OK, can you hear me now? Yeah, I'm uh, going to break up a bit. Oh, no. How, uh, how about now? Oh, break it. Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, I, I can't. Uh, here, let me, I'm going to try hanging up and calling. There you go. Wait, oh. that's better. That's better. Oh, okay, good. Okay. Good. good, okay. Woo, that got me nervous. Okay. Sorry for the technical difficulties. There everybody. you go. No problem. No problem. Yeah, I just, I mean, did you, have you seen the Senna documentary that they have on Netflix? Yeah, absolutely terrific. And, um, um, Wonderful. Now, I, the, the unfair thing about that is that it, I mean, Prost to me is one of the great underrated drivers. Um, probably doesn't get the credit he deserves. Um, I remember I was in the pits at Watkins in 1980, and he had been hurt, didn't race, but I remember sitting on some tires right on the pit wall, just chewing his nails, just just nervous as a cat. Um, but um, yeah, sent a great charismatic driver. Um, 
tell you a story about in Montreal one time, he's going through, um, the track is basically the same in Montreal as it was in the beginning, except for they moved the pits down from the hairpin down to the other end of the circuit. But mm. um, he was there in a McLaren, one of those, I think, MT4-4s, one of the great cars of all time. And he's, uh, they have S's, the, the old finishing straight, they had a uh, really hairy S turn. Everybody lifted through there, and there was a marshal who was kind of hanging over the rail, and he was watching everybody, and here comes Senna, and finally, the first time, he didn't lift. First guy not to lift. So, uh, Wasn't that, that the, they call that the corner champions or something like that? Yeah, that that's a little bit farther down. Is yeah, the that, wall okay. of champions. Wall because of champions. All, everybody, everybody hits the wall there. Yeah. But, uh, but now that the, um, the, the Montreal track is next to the old Olympic rowing area, and um, so anyway, the the uh, marshal is walking back toward the old pits, and who does he bump into coming the other way but Senna? And he said, hey, look, I saw you go through there, and you didn't lift this and that and the other thing. And Senna looked at him, thinking and thinking, and looked at the guy, and he said, oh, he said, you were the marshal hanging over the wall here. Hey, huh? I mean, think about that. <laughs> yeah. Think about that. You're whipping through there at 175 miles an hour. And he, kept, he he recognizes the marshal that was hanging over. It just uh, wow, that's incredible. That's just that, that that that's just one of those things that just like what? How, who are you? What is your brain? Like how does that work? Yeah, like I you know I, what I would just, the only thing I'd be saying is oh no 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 slow. Oh. <laughs> you know I'll, I'll tell you, there's something else about that. The um, as he's the old pits um, as they say we're down by the hairpin and. Um, you, now you've seen, um, oh, geez, her name is escaping me now. Max's girlfriend, um, PK, first name. Oh, oh uh, Kelly? Yeah, I, Kelly? I don't I don't know her name, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, maybe she's stunning, beautiful. But I remember her mother, and her mother uh, was going out with Nelson PK at that time, who was racing early 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I was in the pits. I would think this would have been 79. Teddy Mayer got his pit tickets from McLaren. And uh, I remember during one of the sessions, I walked out to the back, probably to find the men's from out back. It was probably maybe, maybe in the middle of the race. Go out the back, and there is, um, her name was Sylvia Hamza, I think was her name. And she was a Dutch model, stunning. and But she was back there by herself, nervous, you could tell. She's, you know, she's thinking, hey, my boyfriend could get killed here. It was a really dangerous era. Um, yeah. And, uh, but, but, you know, just there, she just said, I, I can't watch this. So she was b- all by herself behind the, uh, kind of behind the track. And she's the mother of, uh, Kelly, of, of, of Max's girlfriend, uh, the girlfriend now, um, who I guess was the girlfriend of uh, Danny Kvyat before that, I suppose. Oh yeah. But, I remember hearing the drama about that. But very, you know, very dangerous, uh, back then. Um, I think I, I think I've mentioned to you, I went to, I think 18 live races, oh, three drives were killed during those weekends. Um, and, uh, so you couldn't race then like you can race now. In other words, you just wouldn't try things that Max tried this year back in those days. Yeah. Much more dangerous. Um, and, I'll give you an example. I was on the board of, when I was on the board of the Grand Prix Corporation at Watkins Glen. They had uh, that used to be the big, uh, the big paying race in the world. Fifty thousand. The winner got fifty thousand dollars back then because that had to lure the drivers from Europe. A lot yeah. of teams ran 
ran three cars. And, um, but, uh, Francois Sebert, the first race I went to was the U.S. Grand Prix at Watkins Gun in 71. Francois Sebert and the Terrell won, first and only race he ever won. Glamorous guy, dated Bridget Bardot, terrific, terrific guy, great driver. But then he was killed two years later in the morning session, uh, just before noontime at the S's where he hit the guardrails on the one side and bounced in and went through the guardrails. Oh, geez. Pretty much like the, the like the the um, Grosjean accident, right? Yeah. Of course, no halo and a terrible, terrible fatal accident. Well, but, and, uh, and none of the safety rec- you know, all of the safety stuff that's been built in over the years because of these guys, these gladiators that would risk it all, half sitting well, out of the car back in those days. They didn't understand, yeah. you know. Well, but what happened back in that era, um, and you can kind of follow the progression. Uh, Jackie Stewart was correctly into safety, got a lot of, of uh, grief from a lot of people like Jackie X, who was uh, kind of on the other side of it at that point. But at Watkins Glen, they had guardrails. And then uh, Sievert was killed on a guardrail in 73. Then Helmut Koenig was killed on a guardrail in 74. So in all the tracks around the world, they said, look, you got to move the guardrails back. And then they said, okay, they have to put in catch fencing. Then Mark Donahue was killed in 75 in um, – the Osterreich ring in the Red Bull ring. Now his head hit a, a wooden fence post. Um, and he, uh, looked like he was okay. Then he had a cerebral hemorrhage and he died. So then they said, okay, take out the, the wooden post and you put PVC piping in and then cut it in half. So it'll be like an accordion when the, when the car hits it'll go out. So, but what happened Well, a lot of these tracks like Watkins Glen, Zonvort was another one back then. Um, they just couldn't afford all the improvements you had to make uh, for safety. And it put tremendous financial pressure on them. Mm. And then Washington had a lot of rainy week race weekends in a row in the late seventies. Um, and it just, it just got too much for them. Um, now it's interesting. One of your comments in the, I think your American podcast a few weeks ago, which was talking about the crowds at, at Austin yeah. and how many they had, and you hear the same kind of numbers at Silverstone, but, the fellow that ran the racetrack at Watkins got a great guy named Mal Curie. And um, so in 1978, Mary Andretti won the world championship, raced at Watkins Glen, and all the newspapers all the, said they had 200,000 people at Watkins Glen. So two years later, I was talking to Mal Curie, and I said, hey, look, you know, two years ago, you had 200,000 people up here. And he looked at me and said, what? And I said, yeah, though, the papers said 200,000. He said, we had 20,000. And... Uh, <laughs> So I've never since then, I've never been, uh, I've been always a little skeptical about the numbers that, uh, nobody ever checks them and it's fine. Yeah. But he said to me, he's 200, we had 20 and, um, but in any event. Oh man. Okay. So we're, I, I'm sorry. Well, I'm just letting you go. I'm just sitting here zoning out, listening to this story, but I want to, I want to rewind a little bit and back up to, to when you sure. were a young kid and you're ordering these these magazines and you're translating and you're trying to, you're just hungry for information. Do you, who is who is your favorite driver then, and and what 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 like kept you going? Well, Jimmy Clark, uh, everybody's kind of favorite. He was the great driver from um, his great years were '62 uh, through. He was killed at Hockenheim, I think April seventh, '68, in a Formula Two race out in the woods. There's there's a memorial. Now where he passed away. That the track, the new Hockenheim ring does not go out as far as it used to. It used to be like a big banana, and he was killed on the outward lap. Went into the woods. Nobody really saw it. 
Um, but yeah, he was everybody's favorite, you know, back, uh, back then. Uh, interesting. If you look at his stats, I think he had 25 wins. He beat Fangio by one and he, uh, that was the record until Jackie Stewart got 27 in 73. Uh, but he only, I think he had like one second place, three thirds or something. It was an, a, you know, astonishing record that, uh, yeah. we should, we should tell the, the audience cause, uh, that, 23 races doesn't sound like a lot of wins when we have 22 or 23 races on a calendar year now. But back then they would, what, do like six or seven if they well, were lucky it, a year? When it, yeah, when it started in 50, it was like six. Uh, back in the early 70s, it was 12. It kept get building up a little bit. They were in Europe, and then they added Watkins Glen, and then they added Canada and Mexico so they could do a little North American sweep. But... Um, when I was there, I'm trying to think around 19, I think it was around 12, but you know, Jimmy Clark had 25 wins, I think in 72 races and the Lotuses then were very fragile. I mean, uh, uh, very fragile cars. And, um, so he had a lot of DNFs, a lot of kind of freaky things. I think a, a plug came out of the, the oil sump at the, the South African race. I might've been at 64 cost him the world championship. He could very well have been champion. 62, 3, 4, and 5. Then they changed to a three-liter formula. The Brabham's were really good. So Brabham and Denny Home won back-to-back years. And then then the Ford Cosworth came in great right out of the box. And then they, I think he won the probably the last race in 67, then the South African race at the beginning of 68. Then he was killed in April of 68. And he, he never won a world title, did he? No, twice. He won in oh, 63 okay. and 65, yeah. Who was I it think that, he, that never won a world title that everybody like says? Should yeah, be? Who Sterling would, Moss. Sterling yeah. Moss. Well, that's well, who I was thinking of. Now I'll tell you a story about him because it relates to the current season. When a uh, big Lewis Hamilton fan, but um, had the situation been flipped and had Lewis won the championship the way Max did, I I wouldn't have been happy about that. Um, so, but he got out of that car, and what a gentleman! I mean, he just—he was, boy, the discipline it takes to say, "Hey, congratulations to Max." I thought that real sportsman, real gentleman. Oh, totally. But, I, but there's there's some other. You talk about Sterling Moss in the in 1958. Uh, he was, uh, I mean, he was a maybe the best all around driver ever, maybe. But um, the world championship was decided. I think it was the Moroccan Grand Prix where Mike Hawthorne, who eventually did win the championship, was going to be disqualified or penalized for something he did. And uh, Moss, who was competing with him, went to the stewards and said, no, 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 not fair. I saw it. you got to award him the points or the victor, whatever it was. So Moss, as a true gentleman, uh, actually cost himself the world championship uh, there. I think he was second four times, won 16 races out of 66, uh, just some epic drives, you know, two in the underpowered, you know, 61, he beat, um, uh, the Ferraris both at Monaco and the Nürburgring in another, well, I'll give you another example of, uh, so with Moss, Moss and Fangio, again, I think my favorite, because again, what a gentleman, what a sportsman in the, in the, um, uh, uh, 55 British Grand Prix at Aintree, uh, the, the, the Moss had, well, Moss had joined the, the Mercedes team, the best team, the two best drivers in the world. And they're nose to tail in the British Grand Prix. 
And uh, anyway, in the last lap, Fangio, I think, let him through to take the win. Now, he, he, Moss said, wait a minute, you know, came, they came in, and he said, why did you do that? And, and Fangio said, no, 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 you want it fair and square. And, but, I, I, I mean, my suspicion always was that Moss, that the Fangio let him through, uh, is a tremendous gentleman and let him win the race. Uh, and, you know, Fangio, when you think about, again, you want to relate it to this year, Lewis is 37. I don't think Fangio ever won a race until he was 38. So his career, <laughs> how about that? Yeah, he started, uh, you know, the war kind of interrupted his period, but comes to Europe in the late 40s, I think 49. I want to say, I think he had a Maserati at that point that, that the Perón government bought for him. Enters the world championship in 50, barely, I mean, nearly loses to Farina, wins in 51. And then he's hurt at Monza, uh, was in a race in Ireland, misses the plane, has to drive all the way to Monza, gets there, he's bone tired, and then he goes off the track and, and almost breaks his neck, and he's out of the out of the world championship for 52. Oh, we have, to, I have the- to pause right there, because I'm just, like, sure. living this, like, beautiful, like, just, just soaking in this crazy story about how, like, missing planes and not making it and, and stuff. And I'm like, can you imagine if, like, on a Sunday, race day Sunday, or, or getting ready for free practice one, and they're like, oh, Lewis Hamilton missed the plane. The private yeah. jet, like, <laughs> what, like where we've come in the last in in, yeah. this, in, the, his, in this time in sport. But like, could you imagine? It's like, oh yeah, you know, Nikki or uh, Kimi Räikkönen was was hungover and missed the missed the plane, and so we're gonna wait. And like, it's just crazy. Well, you know, I, I think there's a risk now because they have these back to back weekends, and not so much the drivers missing the race, but getting all the equipment and cars to the race. That constant when uh, you see those motorhomes that like they literally unfold and they actually just look like a building but it's actually like transformer of these like four semis but i'm like i'm always amazed that they get all of that stuff uh from one city to the next city and then i'm also always amazed that somehow my luggage gets lost like you can you can they can move a whole like semi like four semi trucks and get it all there in perfect timing, but you can't get my suitcase to one. Se- you can't get it from Denver to New York. <laughs> you know, there's a guy. Your dad might know this. There was a guy. I uh, was speaking of motor, uh, you know, facilities like that. In in the 1980, Mal Curie from Washington called me up. He said there's a guy that was sponsoring the Lotus team. David Theme was his name, but I bet you I think he was he had an oil company, and uh, but a real kind of High roller, kind of cowboy hat, beautiful woman around. But Mel Curie called me and he said, look, this guy wants to pave the area from the back of the, his pit to this motorhome he's got. And it's like 20 grand or something. And he said, the guy wants to do it. He's going to pay for it. And I said, well, what the heck? Go ahead and do it. <laughs> but um, they were just starting to get into it at that point. Your dad might know the name. It's, it's the, the company that sponsored Lotus after John Player. I would say 19, well, it was 1980. Um, I'm just blanking on the name. But, um, but yeah, they, they're just astonishing, the, the, the stuff they haul around the world these days. Just amazing. Was, was that Esso? Yeah, no, it wasn't uh, Esso. It was, it was uh, oh, gosh. I could look it up later. Yeah, I, I yeah. Okay. Blanking so, on this. Hey, you know, yeah. Jimmy, I, I, we, in our podcast, we talk about how personalities come in to the sport and how they evolve emotionally, spiritually, physically, um, maturity level. 
I mean, were, did, did Moss and uh, Fangio kind of come out of the box, just kind of that, that chivalrous uh, gentleman type, or were there growing pains and, and uh, well, emotional growth? I, I think Fangio had a very hard upbringing um, in Argentina. His best friend was killed, and the races back then, the long-distance races, um, and not the Pan American, I forget what they called them, but they would race from like Buenos Aires up to Venice, up to uh, Caracas and back. And his friend, his best friend, was killed in one of those races when Fangio, who was driving, went off the road and was killed. But again, it starts with a U. Uh, Daniel, uh, I can't think of it. But then, uh, you know, his young Argentine friend, Maramon, was killed practicing from the, Ger- the German Grand Prix in the mid 50s. And so he saw a lot of his friends die or get killed but a just a gentleman he was a a really awesome awesome figure and very humble uh he gave his mechanic 10 percent of his winnings because he wanted them to take care of his car one of the grump he had a vibration in the car nobody could find out and he said to the mechanics look i'm here i'm gonna give you 10 percent of my money fix it and they found it and fixed it um <laughs> but uh i think you touched yeah. on it earlier that like um like when the stakes were so much higher, when they would see three of their friends die every season or or so, yeah, you, you just you just respected the guys doing that so much more, and you didn't. I feel like there was so much less room for those attitudes, those like boyhood, like attitudes, and and maybe they were also starting to race a lot later in life. Like you said, Fangio didn't win his first race till he was thirty eight. I mean, these kids are seventeen, eighteen yeah, when they're I mean, getting I in mean, these cars now. I mean, and, and we're surprised they're acting like boys. They are boys. <laughs> so they are, yeah, and they're younger and younger. And uh, but these guys are great. You know, they're spending a lot of money now, so they're great talent spotters. I mean, finding Max. I mean, boy, you look at a kid and you say, "This kid's got it." He's sixteen, and you go, "Whoa, wow!" Yeah, that's, that's really something. Um, All right, we're I mean, he was great. Oh, oh go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Keep going. Never. No, no, no. That's. that's uh, I was just going to uh, try and get us back on track where, because you've brought up when you were on the board at, at Watkins Glen and getting to know some of those people. Can you fill in the gap between the the boy in his bedroom reading and and, and yeah, pouring me, over I, magazines to the to now nah, you're living it out sure. and you're at the racetracks and rubbing elbows with these guys? So how did we well, get from there to there? A, uh, uh, it's a, an interesting thing, and it happened. It's such kind of a fast transition because I can, I think I, was talking to you yesterday about yeah. the, we went to the 77 Canadian race at uh, Mossport. And that for your people listening to the podcast, they should get on and watch, you know, James Hunt punch out a marshal in the, uh, uh, in that race. You can go but, ahead and um, tell that story. Yeah. Well, the, uh, I, I kind of back up a little bit to the beginning of the race. We go up there, Mossport last year, the track, uh, they know it's going to leave. I think the following year to go to Montreal. So they're not going to spend any money on the track. I see the massive hole in the fence and I see all these kids going through the hole to get onto the grid. So I said, well, we're going to do that. So go through and at the, on the grid, I'm standing between uh, with 200 other kids. Um, you know, I'm 26 at that point, Mario Andretti and Lotus with Colin Chapman plugged in on the side pad, Teddy Mayer and James Hunt McLaren sitting right next to him and they're screaming, you know, get off the track, get off the track. So <laughs> this is 77 now. And then 79, uh, got to know Teddy Mayer. He, he got his tickets to the, uh, 
Canadian uh, Grand Prix in 79. Uh, it's, you know, fancy, we loving it. Fantastic. And then um, in 80, I get my own tickets through Watkins Glen. Um, they had two tickets where these 33, uh, they, they were graded passes, but they called a 33 pass that you could go anywhere in the world, any race you wanted. And every track had two of them. Watkins Glen had two, Monaco, Monza, Spa. Okay. And, uh, but so, I whoa, whoa, had the ones. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh my gosh. Jimmy, you're good. My, my, we got to, oh, give me a break. Give me a breath. Here we go. So I'm still back at, we're sneaking through the hole in the fence, standing okay. on the side so that, of the grid so that's, with yeah. so that's some of the greatest drivers ever. Just sitting there, you're you could you're yelling at them like go. Oh, what's like, and they're yelling at you get off the track. I mean, woo! <laughs> so we're loving it. They, they're shooing everybody back through the hole in the fence. So back we go. And uh, I I remember, can you imagine if you were like watching TV and then you just see like two hundred like people just like on the starting grid? Like, what a different world! Yeah. Like, I I just can't believe that you you got to be that close. Like at such a like young age and like in well, such a cool thing. Well, it was a, a quirky thing just because the track's falling apart. And yeah, the, you know, the hole and you go through the hole. So then, how about so then two years later, you know, I'm in the pits just because we got the tickets through Teddy Mayer from McLaren. And how then, did you and know then, Teddy? Uh, he's from around here. He's from our area. Oh man! And uh, where is that for the people upper, listening? I know we well, north, northeastern Pennsylvania. Okay, uh, his. Um, his brother Timmy Mayer was a uh, a racer killed in the Tasman series in early 1964. Really an up and coming driver. He was signed a contract to race for Coopers in Formula One the following year, but he was killed in the um, in the Tasman series um, in '64. Teddy was his brother, and then Teddy, you know, got hooked up with Bruce McLaren um, when uh, Bruce was killed in 1970. Teddy and a, and a fellow, I never know how you pronounce his last name, it's, it's spelled K-E-R-R, Phil Kerr, Phil Carr, bought the team from Teddy's widow. And so Teddy ran it from 1970, had a couple of great guys working with him. Alistair Caldwell is a great guy. Uh, Tyler Alexander uh, bought the team. And then... Um, Which team? Uh, Just This is... Uh, oh, McLaren, McLaren. McLaren, okay. Then Fittipaldi comes to him. He wants to kind of leave Lotus in 73. Fittipaldi wins the world championship. Well, actually, wins his first Grand Prix at Watkins Glen in 1970 in his fourth Formula One race. And then wins the world champion with a Lotus 72, great car in 72. Then the Marlboro takes the Marlboro money, goes to McLaren in 74, wins in 74. Now, that, now 74, that was the only time before this year that the world championship was tied in points going into the last race of the season. Oh, man. That's Regazzoni and Fittipaldi were tied. And uh, great race. We were there for that race. And, um, you know, just absolutely terrific. Um, but um, where was I going? I, you, oh, yeah, well, anyway, so, yeah, 79. And then, uh, and then uh, in 1980, uh, I had a trucking case. I'm a lawyer, small-town lawyer here in Pennsylvania. We had a trucking case up above in New York State at a place called Horseheads, which is right below Watkins Glen. Needed a local lawyer. I remember in the program for Watkins Glen, the head of the racetrack, the head of the chairman of the board was a guy named Henry Valent. So called him and I said, hey, look, could you do the uh, do this part of the case? He said, sure. But every time we talked, we would talk about racing. And he said to me, he said, you know, you really 
like this stuff. He said, do you ever up this way? And I said, yeah, I have to go to Cornell in a couple of weeks. He said, why don't you stop over and see me? So I went over to Watkins Glen and I get there in his office is himself, Mal Curie, he ran the racetrack. And they said, hey, how would you like to be on the on the board? So I said, this is, this is really terrific. Now, um, Watkins is a very small town. And it's amazing how they put together this international race in this very, very tiny town. Um, but they did. And it was, uh, they had added some, uh, uh, some length of the track in 70, 71. And it was probably one of the top five tracks in the world at that point. Monza, you know, Spa, Nürburgring, Monaco. But it was right up there. A terrific, I mean, yeah, uh, it, I've always heard, like, even me as young as I am and getting into the sport. And we have, when was the last time they raced at Watkin Glen? Well, 1980. That was the, that was when I was on the board and okay. we lost the, uh, cause we couldn't pay Bernie. We owed him a million bucks and couldn't, uh, couldn't <laughs> okay. pay him. Well, and, uh, tell us that. How, so how, so they just asked you to come and be a part of it or like, you... yeah, yeah. Well, I think they thought, uh, a lot of the guys on the board that time were, were older I mean, I, I was probably the younger, youngest guy, 30 years, maybe. Mm. Um, and, but I thought I was the prototypical patron at the races. They were, I was the kid that they wanted to attract and get, uh, get to the races. And I probably thought, you know, brought that perspective, not because any expertise I had, but just mm. that I was enthusiastic and, and, no, no, um, sound like an expert to me, Jimmy. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, uh, but, uh, they were great guys. And, uh, and Mal Curie, I want to uh, kind of bounce around a little bit. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, he, they used to have at Watkins Gun this, this building called the Kendall Tech Center where they would bring all the cars in and they would work on them. And uh, so during the race weekends, Mal Curie, who ran the track, would rent a Winnebago, pull it into the tech building, and that would be the race headquarters uh, for the weekend. And I would just go hang out with them there when they were on track racing. So we were in the... Uh, in the uh, Saturday night before the race, uh, just the two of us, it's midnight, and we were in the in the Winnebago, knock on the door, and we open the door, and it's Bob Dance, who's the mechanic at that point for Mario Andretti, and he's the old mechanic for Jimmy Clark. He's one of the, the famous mechanics for Jimmy Clark. Um, but anyway, he comes in and says, hey, look, somebody just spilled the top of the Lotus, <laughs> of Andretti's Lotus, and just walked away with it. And uh, so we, we ran out, and here's this guy, drunk as a skunk, and he's, he's, he stepped inside, you know, the, uh, the fiberglass top, and he's just walking out with it like it's a skirt. He said, buddy, buddy, come here, come here. You can't, you can't take it. You put this down. Said, oh, okay, okay. So anyway, we got the, got the, the, the top of the Lotus back for, uh, for Bob Dance. Um, but uh, Watkins was a wild place. I mean, they burned a, a bus, uh, in 1974 in this place called the bog where these Brazilians that came up to support Fittipaldi and, uh, the guy parked the bus, let the motor running. Some kid jumps into it, drives it down to the bog and they turn it over and set it on fire. <laughs> but it was a, just a nutty, nutty place. I'll tell you. Oh, um, man, How close but, is this? You, know, you know, but I, I really, I'm so enthused for you because you're going to bring this sport to a lot of younger people. And, and when I was, uh, so at Watkins Glen, when I went up, there was this built VIP building that overlooked the yeses. And they said, look, you can go in there. You have all the food and what, blah, 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 go anywhere you want. And uh, when I went in there and I said, uh, I just was there for a bit. I said, I just don't, nah, I don't like this. I want to go back down with my buddies down at the, you know, down, uh, you know, they were camping out down there. So I left the, um, 
this really nice spot and went um because that's where all the enthusiasm is all the zanies and nuts that go to the races mm. and the same thing happened i went to monaco two years ago uh, a friend of mine named bernard robertson um called me up these guys traveled all over the world he was an executive kind of invented the dodge ram truck to be honest with you but he um executive with chrysler and he called me up and he said, hey, look, you know, I've been all over the world. You know, I've never been to the Monaco Grand Prix. He said, look, we're gone. We're going. <laughs> so um, we wind up, uh, long story short, he'd been to Italy a dozen times. And uh, he took me to 10 car museums in the two Ferrari museums, two Lamborghini museums, Maserati factory, Fiat, the works. Anyway, we wind up in Monaco and uh, we hooked up with the Smithsonian tour. Uh, we had great race tickets right down by the harbor that the old tobacco turn now oh, i think if you know where that is you come through um uh come out of the tunnel through the chicane down the harbor front big left hand turn 90 degrees it's called the old tobacco turn there used to be a tobacco in a shop there and uh so we had tickets there race tickets right above that eighth row i'd rather been farther up but that's where we were but when i called the smithsonian people i said hey look do we have qualifying tickets for the day before and she said no you don't so i said okay so um, I said to my friend on Saturday morning before the qualifier, I said, look, the, the plan was for the group to go to a car museum in Nice where we were staying, uh, then train, then, uh, you know, go back to the hotel and, and watch the qualifying with a so-called expert. I said, I'm not doing that. So <laughs> yeah, my friend said, I'm right here. I'm not watching it on TV. I'm not no, I'm not doing that. So anyway, <laughs> I said, my friend says, I know what you want to do. I'm not doing that. So. <laughs> I walked up to the eight blocks of the train station, trained it in, you know, four euros to get to, to Monaco. Um, go down there. I've seen it at the race 50 times. I know right where I'm going. Go down the hill, past the uh, San Devote, the church there. Uh, you know, the turn after the uh, pit straight. Yeah. Ticket booth and uh, all these, you know, 250 euro qualifying tickets. Received. Now what I'm looking for, right down at the very bottom, the rock, La Roche, the rock. That's where all the Tifosi fit, the, the Zanies. That's where I'm going. So I bought 65 euro tickets, go up on the rock. And, uh, you know, people have chairs tied to bushes so they don't fall off the hillside. It's the nuttiest, dainiest, most fun place. So I stood there for eight hours, watched the uh, Formula 2 race, all the practice, the qualifying. It's right above um, the Roscoff. And, uh, and, and, uh, and right before the entrance to the pit. So we could see the Sky guys doing the interviews in the oh, middle of man. the pit lane. Uh, and then Lewis gets the pole, climbs up the fence right in front of us, and uh, I'll shoot you some pictures. Later. I've got a bunch oh, of yeah, pictures on my. Oh yeah, do. <laughs> Happy to do. It. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the best days of my life. I man, and, I bet. Uh, is it is it tr as loud in that city as they say? Like, can you just hear it everywhere? Yeah, everything. Yeah, everything bounces off the building, so the, the noise is all. Now, they, the good thing about it, my worries always had been that it was not a good place to see a race. Because you could only see part of the race. The building yeah. blocked a lot. But there's so many screens now, including a screen right in front of us at the Raskas, um, where we could see it. So you could see all the action. And then where our seats were at the tobacco, you could look up the hill, and there was a big screen going up to what they call Beau Rivage, which is yeah. the, mm -hmm. the little the little turn up near the, before you sweep into Casino Square. Um but yeah, but I, you know, you're in the, your American podcast, you were talking about the races you'd love to go to see, but Monaco would be too expensive. There's ways of doing that, that you can really cut down your cost. Yeah, you, can I mean, stay I would... in, you know, you can train it in it's four euros to get into town. I, I was actually back in my hotel an hour after the race on Sunday oh, at wow. Monaco. 
so it's not like Silverstone or Watkins Glen used to be or Spa now or yeah. Zonfort where the traffic is. Uh, we'd love to go to Spa. I know you mentioned that, but the oh, problem yeah, there now with all the Dutch fans getting out of there, it's uh, hard to find a place to stay near there. Well, yeah, there's uh, like there's like three hotels. We looked into it. There's like three hotels like that are within like a shuttling distance, but it's like yeah. it's like seven hundred euros a night for like a twin bed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But well, uh, but the, you can uh, you can you can. There's a, a cheaper way to do uh, to do Monaco, uh, and you know there were a lot of kind of what I would say just regular people where we were sitting. You know, so people save their money and go there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's got to do it at least once. It's a, and, and you got yeah. to get up on the rock. You got to get up there for the sure. Rocher. Okay. Uh, Rocher. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, you know, one of the things that intrigued me about spa is just the world war, world war two history in that bulge area. And I've heard well, such yeah. great stories of such devotion to the American and Canadians and British, uh, within museums and then the cemeteries are immaculate. It's funny you should mention that because I'll tell you a story. My uncle was a B-24 pilot killed in his last mission in a raid over Blackhammer, Germany, August 22nd, 44. B-24, he was the pilot. And three of the guys in his plane are buried in the American cemetery very near Spa. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I looked at it on Google Earth the other day. It's not far. I want to say it's maybe five miles away. Um, and then, but that's, you know, the, the old spa before they shortened it, one of the turns was called Malmedy. And of course there was the, the Malmedy massacre. I think there were 86 Americans executed by this guy. Piper was the German SS guy and they just mowed him down in this field. Um, and it's, the turn is still there. There's the, there's a, there's, uh, you know, you could see where that was, where the field was. Mm. And then, you know, Bastogne, saint Vith, all the Battle of the Bulge um, areas are right around there. And it's a beautiful, beautiful area, too. Um, and that's the that's the race you want to go to, I think. It's probably the best circuit in the world now, the old, uh, the complex Eau Rouge, Radion. You know, most people call it Eau Rouge. It's really Radion. It's the, Radion is the, the, the top of that turn. Yeah. Very famous. And boy, do they go flying through there. And that's where you want to watch the race from. Um my friend Bernard was there a couple of years ago um, on a tour, and he was around, back around the circuit. I forget some of the names of the turns. Blanchemont was one. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a, some great, great races. They're even going back into the 30s. You know, the, uh, Richard Siemens, the great Mercedes driver, was killed there, and I think in 39, maybe. But mm. um, it was great track right off the bat. In the old days, I mean, it used you, to be a lot longer that, back then, too, right? They've shortened it by like. Eight point three miles, and boy, you watch the um, uh, that old movie Grand Prix. And well, I'll give you a, a guy I used to see in the pits at, in Canada in Watkins Glen was the great British journalist Dennis Jenkinson Jenks, and Jenks was um, rode with Sterling Moss at the Millie Millia as his navigator and had this rolling map. But he was a curmudgeonly bearded gnome of a guy, great journalist. Um, but he used to go out and he would. Uh, Walk out, and it was a real walk at that point, up to what they called the Master Kink. Now, the Master Kink, the Master is the long straight, still exists. It's a, it's, you, can, you can drive on the road now. But about halfway out that straight, there was a kink, and there's a, there's a uh, big stone building on the left, big stone building on the right. 
But Jenks would go there to see who was lifting and who was going just flat out. And, um, and Jackie Stewart talks about either one of those podcasts where Jackie Stewart talks about, he'd always see Jenks out there at the Mazda kink. And if you look at the movie Grand Prix, they're great shots, best racing movie ever, 66 John Frankenheimer, but they're great shots of, um, uh, of spa. And, uh, but you could see all the telephone poles and the brick buildings and the houses. I mean, you could get, you could hit. It was a very, very dangerous high-speed track. I think for a long time, the lap record for fastest, um, like 150 miles, Pedro Rodriguez in 70 in a BRM, I think won, won there at the fastest lap speed ever, like 150 miles an hour. Um, but just wasn't that how they, they used to, I heard this somewhere that they used to talk about spa, about how fast you would go through a certain like, uh, areas. And it was like, everybody was trying to, or was that, what am I thinking of Le Mans? Maybe it's about Le Mans, but there was a section, like, I think that's what you, yeah, you were saying that, that I think so. it might be the Mo- the Mosta kink. And, um, yeah, take a look at it on Google or if it still exists. Um, and, uh, but you know, 62, they had, I think two fatalities in the same race weekend there. I think Sterling Moss was injured there one time. I think Alan Stacy was one of the drivers that was killed. I'm blanking on the other guy's name. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll tell you a, a wacky story about being in Montreal for the race. If you watch, and you can see this on YouTube, um, the, the, the famous, uh, the Nicky Lauda accident, and it's on film. Uh, Nicky calls it Barbecue Bend. I don't know what the German name for it is on the track, but he calls it Barbecue, barbecue Bend. Um there were a bunch of drivers that, that were behind him and stopped and helped him out of the car. One was Arturo Merzario, um, a guy named uh, Brett Lunger, who was an American from Wilmington, Delaware, and a guy named Guy Edwards. Now, Guy Edwards was a very obscure British driver, back-of-the-grid sort of guy. Maybe he did 25 races, but um, you, you just wouldn't know who this guy was. He was very obscure. And, uh, but because I got all these racing magazines and I knew all the faces, well, we were in, when we were in Montreal for the race, we were about two miles from the racetrack in the center of town. We had no racing paraphernalia on. And, uh, we walk up to these two guys on the street to ask them where a certain building was. And as I'm asking them the question, I realized that this, one of the guys I'm talking to is Guy Edwards, the racing driver who, who, um, you know, pulled Nikki Alada out of the out of the, that wreck. Oh my God. And I said to him, are, are you I said, Are you Guy Edwards? And he looked at me like I was from the planet Zircon or something. Like <laughs> how, would, how would you know that? And we just walked and as we're walking away, he's telling these this guy he's with he said, That guy just knew who I was. Now <laughs> but we were we were two miles from the racetrack. He he and we had, you know, we looked like ordinary people walking around. No reason to connect us with racing. But uh, that's how kind of fanatical I was that I'd recognize a guy who was pretty obscure. You can Google it. Google Guy Edwards. Um, and uh, but a British driver, and he was he was like flabbergasted that uh, somebody could pick, you know recognize him. But anyway, now that's a uh, fan. That's a fan, right? Yeah, now. That a, that's a passionate fan. Nicky Ladder yeah. was a one of those all time greats, and really, you know, a lot of a lot of people credit him for a lot of the Mercedes success over the last eight years. And cause he was a, the, un, what did they call him? The unofficial team principal. <laughs> There's a name. What's the, what's the name? There's a name for it. I'm, I'm blanking what they call him. Yeah. But, uh, 
but he, well, he was the guy that convinced Lewis to go to Mercedes. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I, I didn't really understand how good he was. I, you know, I, he, uh, I mean, I know that, I mean, I, I, we talked a little bit about this yesterday about the, the Ron Howard movie, the, um, rush. Sure. Yeah. Rush, yeah. And I, I, that, that's something I, I really got from that film is that how, how analytical and how he really took the sport way more serious and and was calculating and and really thought through a lot of his decisions and and worked with the mechanics and brought that like it wasn't just like you know Hunt's approach of 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 the champions breakfast you know sex champagne and, yeah, yeah. and like and you know rock up hungover and 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 maybe do a bump of coke and get in the car but and, you know louders over there pouring over data and talking to the mechanics and and like it was like that that two worlds the 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 changing of an of an era of the sport where like they were moving it on from from being a party animal rock star playboy to like the hey this is an elite sport and we're treating it like an elite sport well, you know, he was in 73, well, 72, he was in a March, I think 721, you know, back tail under guy, he was paying for the drive, borrowed money, um, you know, to get his own drive. Then he went to BRM, which had a, a, a lot of cars and they had like five cars on the grid, but he was there with Regazzoni, who was kind of an established driver who had been with Ferrari. And Regazzoni was the one that convinced Enzo Ferrari to bring him over to, to Ferrari. Hmm. Now the 73 Ferrari was a lousy car. Marsari, Arturo Marsario was the um, was the driver, but they were just tailing. The car wasn't very good, so uh, Lauda comes to Ferrari, tests the car, and he. Uh, so they ask him, you know, what do you think of the car? And he says, well, and you see, he says, well, the car is shit. Well, they they freak out and they go, nobody says that to Ferrari. Nobody tells him that. Well, the car is shit. He said, that's what it is. So he uh, anyway perfects the car. Uh, they had an engineer back then, Mauro Forgieri, who my friend Bernard worked with. Uh, Bernard Robertson worked with that um, came over to the States with Chrysler anyway, I think uh, one of their divisions or Maserati, Maserati, I'm sorry, when yeah. Chrysler on Maserati, but uh, Luca Montezumolo, young guy joins the team. Uh, really, they, they're, they just get better and better and better. A lot of very nearly could have won the championship in 74 Had a bad luck at Brands Hatch. Flat tire comes into the pits. It was at the end of the race and they had blocked the, he could have gotten change of tire back out on the racetrack, but there were so many people in the pits. The pits was blocked. He couldn't get back oh, out on the man. track. Uh, but there's a pretty good, uh, he won the Spanish race when I think the Dutch race that year, but it was a really close fight between Schechter and a Terrell taking over from Jackie Stewart. Schechter and Depay took over for Stewart and Terrell. I, I'll tell you a quick story about on Schechter. We were big Peter Revson fans, you know, American, racing for McLaren in 72. And, and Watkins Glen, second year I was there, really don't know where we should be going on the track. So we're down by the boot right after the hairpin above the track. Race starts up at the other end of the track. And here come the cars. Jackie Stewart and the Terrell, 005 or 6, whatever, 6 maybe. 006, anyway. Um, leads the race in front of two McLarens. And I thought, all right, there we go. Here's um, Jackie Stewart, home in second, revs on our guy in third go around again, blah, 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 same thing. Same. And wait a minute, I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, that's not, that's not Revson. What's that? Read the name on the side of that car. Schechter. I said, 
who the hell is Schechter? <laughs> and that was that was Jody Schechter's first race. Oh man! And, man. and uh, ran as high as third at Watkins Glen. Uh, spun one up ninth. But wow, great! Right out of the box. But I said, who the? I remember saying, who the hell is Schechter? Never heard of the guy <laughs> yeah. before. Uh, came up to the minor formula, you know, from South Africa. Great driver. And, but he was, uh, you know, had that bad season in 73, caused a big wreck at Silverstone where, the, like, half the field was wrecked. They basically said they went to um, – he was running the third third McLaren. As they say, they, they Teddy Mayer would run the third cars when they could. So they were running a third car for him in 73. Like, wrecks half the field, and then they say, no, you got to – this guy's too wild. But then, at the end of 73, he's in the McLaren at Watkins Glen, and he was the first one on the scene to the to the Francois Sivert accident, and that really that was that really I think changed him because after that mm. he was a great driver, but uh, he wasn't as kind of balls out as he was uh, back in the early days. But great talent, great driver, and uh, he actually won the the seventy seven race at uh, Mossport when we were there because it rained. Andretti led the whole way in that Lotus seventy seven, smoked the field blows the engine five laps from the end, starts to rain. Cars are fishtailing all over the place, all over. You know, they're, they're spinning out at like 15 miles an hour on slicks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Schechter kind of, you know, just kind of made sure he just finished and, and won the and that Walter Wolf car in 70, uh, 77. So. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, Okay, I, there was a story, th- man, I just, again, mouth in hands. I just am, thank you so much for telling me all these stories. But there is a story that you uh, briefly touched on uh, yesterday that I just have to uh, have to have you tell my dad again. And I, I just want to hear it again, too. I'm not going to lie. But uh, about, about you going to uh, the Caesars Palace Grand Prix in Las Vegas with – with two very special guests. Uh, could you, you mind telling me about that? Telling my, well, my yeah, dad about that? We had uh, a friend of mine who I, I just was, it's funny, I was texting him. He's my best friend from college. I was texting him uh, this afternoon on some other things and uh, still close to him. Um, he said, hey, it's from New Jersey. He said, hey, I want to come up and see you um, this weekend up in Pennsylvania. So look, we're going to the Canadian Grand Prix. Uh, so we won't be right. Yeah, well, I'll meet you up there then. So up he goes. And we watched the race. He loves it. And he said, uh, he's a filmmaker and a documentary filmmaker. And he said, well, you know, what celebrities like racing? And I said, well, I don't know, Paul Newman, Gene Hackman, James Garner, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Uh, next thing I know, he calls me up and he said, uh, yeah, hey, okay, Newman's going to do the movie. I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He said, what do you want to do the film? I said, what, Randy, what are you talking about? He said, oh, we got to go. Bum, off you go. <laughs> and then uh, next thing I know, I'm in the office one day and I'm holding my calls. And I got a call from London. Well, I don't know anybody in London. And I said, all right, put the call through. And he says, uh, hey, I've got the, I bought the footage that you said we should get from folk, from Bernie Ecclestone's group. He said, Randy, what are you talking about? For the film. Randy, web up, up, got to go, got to get a plane. Well, off he goes. <laughs> well, we wound up, long story short, wound up doing this documentary film. Uh, we never got distributed with Paul Newman out in Las Vegas. And Paul Newman says, look, I'll do the, uh, I'll um, do the film if, if Sam Posey writes the script. <sighs> well, we had already written the script, but we said, yep, fair game. We'll let him do the script. So, um, uh, so we go out there and, uh, shoot the footage and Paul was supposed to have dinner with Diana Ross that night. Of course, we don't know what we're doing. So it takes us six and a half hours to shoot this thing. We were supposed to take two, but he's very patient, great guy. 
loved him. And he says, hey, look, I'm going to go. We shot it in the building behind Caesar's Palace where they were working on the cars. Um, so he said, hey, look, why don't you come up? I'm going to watch the race from the top of Caesar's Palace because the race was in a parking lot. Worst Formula One racetrack ever by everybody's estimation. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, but, really good, yeah. but not bad when you're hanging out with Paul Newman <laughs> yeah, and Sam yeah. Posey. No complaint. No complaint. So uh, I get up in the morning the day of the race, and uh, Sam Posey and I came down for breakfast, and he said, hey, look, you know, there's a lot of hangers on around Paul Newman up there. He said, let's just go watch the race in the pits. We'll find a place. I said, okay. So we're in the pits, and um, so the race is about to start, and we said, where are we going to watch this thing? We don't know. See where we So we walked down to the um, – the turn before the finishing straight and it just kind of we're going to watch from there when we get down there there's one guy down there inside all the stuff with us uh, with a stopwatch dan gurney who knows post didn't know each other so the three of us watching the race and we're all timing different things on stopwatches and the greatest guy in the world i mean they're both posey and great terrific terrific gentlemen great guys and the one thing i remember about well two things at the end of that race i think rossford won the world championship there but um, so we're, 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 when the race not is Not Nico, for, for all the younger yeah. fans out there. Not Nico. This is not Nico. yeah. Who was a terrific driver. Uh, but um, uh, so anyway, but they're bringing the cars in, and uh, Eddie Cheever is being towed in and looks over at us and notices Gurney and Posey, we know, and he says, who won? And when you said uh, Alberetta won on the tail. Now, they were young drivers, very real rivals. And I remember he winced. He just, boom, you know, because that's his young, great rival that, that won the race, <laughs> which he hadn't won. And then Posey said, let's go into the Terrell garage. Alberetta will go congratulate Ken Terrell. So off we go and uh, talk to them for a while. And here comes uh, James Hunt, you know, bounces in. Hey, congratulations, this, that, the other thing. So, um <laughs> What, but, uh, what, what life, what, where, who, how, where am I? How are, like, did you just pinch yourself? You're sitting there in this garage and you got, yeah, you got cool. Paul, the, 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 the king of cool, Paul Newman, yeah. sitting there, you got Sam Posey, and then in walks James Hunt. I mean, well, just, we, no, we didn't, yeah, we didn't see Newman on the day of the race. He was oh. up on the top of the house, but uh, we were with him the night before. Oh, gotcha. Oh. And, uh, but great guy. And uh, actually changed the script. You talked about the movie Winning, which he did. And we had written this. The script was written so that he said in this document, he said, when I was making the movie Winning back in whatever the date was, and he looked at the script and he said, no, no, no. He said, that's not going to work. He said, here's how we'll do it because a lot of people are not going to know the movie Winning. So we'll just say when I was making a movie about motor racing, um, uh, you know, back. So, so, so he actually changed the script and made it, you know, made it better. Mm-hmm. But a great guy, another you know fun guy, great guy. Loved racing, and uh, we had a good had a good time with him. So, um, so were you met you? Did you meet Hunt, or did you just were you just in? No, the no, no. Hunt? He was there. He kind of breezed in and talking. To him. I didn't didn't meet him. Um, now the Hunt, this the other story I talked to you about Hunt yeah. yesterday. Uh, so we did not see this. I was at the race, but I it was around the racetrack, so I didn't see what happened. But um, Hunt's the reigning world champion, and Yuckin Moss is the second. Uh, second McLaren driver. And at one point in the race, Moss crashes into to Hunt and takes both McLarens out of the race. And Hunt goes nuts. It goes absolutely bananas. And and that's where you can see the video on YouTube where he gets out and there's this marshal trying to get him off the track. And he just, just decks the marshal. <laughs> and then 
And that immediately feels sorry about it. You see him trying to get the guy up and whatever. So at the end of the race, the, um, uh, the press comes to Teddy Mayer, who owns the McLaren team. And he said, Teddy, they just crashed out, you know, a million dollars worth of cars. He said, Teddy, what did James Hunt say? You know, your reigning world champion to Jochen Moss when he crashed him out of the race. And uh, Teddy said, uh, do you want me to tell you without the profanity? And they said, yeah. He goes, yeah, he didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but, uh, where, but, you know, where, where can we get your book, man? I'm telling you. Uh, You've got to write but, a book. Yeah, you're gonna you you're know, gonna put me out of a job. All the all the people are gonna start asking just for Jim. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is a great, you're doing a great podcast. This is wonderful. But I, the one other story I'll, I'll say because it relates to the Tell movie. Tell me as Rush, many which, stories as you want, Jim. You know, well, we're not gonna cap you. I know. I mean, I know you have to go to dinner in a little bit, but no, uh, I've got plenty of time. Okay. Here, but the other uh, uh, the story about well, the movie Rush, terrific movie. Um, yeah. But the, uh, the ending of the movie, and, you know, Hunt wins the world championship, and everybody says, oh, congratulations, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, anyway, I bumped into Teddy Mayer after that, and I said, uh, Teddy, I had a, heard a story. I want to know if it's true or not. He said, what is it? He said, did, uh, did James Hunt try to punch you out at the end of the Japanese Grand Prix when he won the world championship? He said, yeah, he did. <laughs> and what happened was Hunt thought Teddy had made a wrong call in either bringing him in or not bringing him in to change the tires toward the end of the race. And he thought that it cost him the world championship. Loud had pulled out of the race early. Hunt has to finish now third to win the world championship. He thinks Teddy has blown it for him. So he's in the car, he's coming in and he's just in a rage and he gets out of the car and he's trying to find Teddy Mayer just to deck him. And, uh, <laughs> and they're trying to stop him. They're trying to tell him you won the world championship. And there's a picture on the internet where you can see Teddy Mayer holding up three fingers in front of Hunt and you can see he's got three on his lips. He's got he's trying to tell third you won. And they dragged Hunt off and but Teddy said, No, he tried to try to punch me out at the end of that race. <laughs> so that's the real that's what really happened. Uh, now the movies hey, look, he's taking liberties and, and that's fine, but uh, great movie. But uh, but that's that's what, what happened in the, the end of that race. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, I did I did wanna did I mean you touched on it a little bit briefly, but um I did want to get some of your take on the current season. You you said you think it's one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, I yeah, I, to me it's it is the greatest of all time. Um, I, I mean it's it's definitely the best season I've been alive for. And, and yeah, watching. I mean it's you know so so not only uh, you know so I think I go back to sixty, but I also really have a pretty good feel for all the races or the seasons in the fifties. Um, and uh, but oh, at every almost every race was terrific. Uh, different, you know, Lando almost wins in, uh, was it Germany? Where did, was it Hockenheim? Ru- Russia. Russia. When, Russia, when, so, when he, yeah, when the yeah. rain came at the end. Yeah. Oh, I felt sick. For oh him. my God. Oh, I was but, screaming uh, at the TV. Just like, no, no, I know. no, no, I know. And, uh, but at the beginning of the year, first of all, you knew that at one point or more that, um, that Max and Lewis were going to come together. We just knew that was going to happen at the beginning. Um, But boy, the races were just out of this world. And, uh, you know, the way it finished, as I say, you know, there's a Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, you know, from Berkshire, they have a, there's a German philosopher they love. I think his name is Jacobus or something like that. And his theory is if you have a hard business problem, you flip it and you look at it backwards and sometimes you come to a better answer. Now, the joke they tell is, for example, when you play a country song backwards, 
at the end of the song, you get your woman's money and you know, your car back. Yeah. But, or, you know, you walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And at the end of that time, number one, uh, you're a mile away from them and you have their shoes. But, uh, but, the, but the, if you look at the, if you look at it backwards, if you look at the end and how it happened, I'm a big Lewis fan. He deserved it. But, uh, I would not have been happy if he won the world championship had the situation been reversed. In other words, if Max is in the lead and then they did what they did, I would not have been happy that he would have won his eighth championship that way. So, look, it, it is what it is. Yeah. It's exciting. You knew when Latifi hit the wall, my wife was in the room, she was walking through, and I said, oh, oh this is not, not going to be good. No. And, uh, they should have, I said this, they, that they should have, they just should have red flagged it right then. Yeah, and, well, they, they, they bent the rules, but you know, I, it, I, my Monty is under tremendous pressure. Um, totally. To, you know, I mean, you know, you got you got uh, Tito screaming in one ear and Horner uh, in the other, other ear, and you probably got the Liberty guys saying, "Hey, we kind of want this to be exciting." And yeah, they, they weren't in his ear, but they'll change that because uh, that shouldn't be. You shouldn't have them having that sort of influence like yeah. they did. But a hard job, for heaven's sakes, really hard job the guy has. I mean, I think that's that's my that, like uh, I've heard this echoed in in some of the other journalists and stuff. But I think it, when you when you like you touched on that, there had to be the the Liberty guys just saying, "Hey, let's sweeten this up. Let's make this a little bit movie like." Which, and you know, because it wasn't movie like enough that the two people going for the world title are tied going into the last race. That's not good enough for you. But but they're saying that it it it, 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 it kind of is if it if that's allowed to continue you run the risk of, of cheapening the sport of like you're, you're taking that sporting element away and you're, you're walking a very dangerous line and tipping over and entertain. Yeah. And they, they obviously didn't do anything in the moment. Um, you know, they just, there was no time and everything was kind of bang, bang. And, uh, really, you know, everything is at stake. It's the world championship and you got to make a decision in five seconds. Um, you know, Teddy's son, Timmy, who I know not well, but I know him, but I actually bump into him. He's a steward now. And uh, I was walking into the track on at Monaco two years ago and bumped into him coming out. We talked for a little bit and he said, you know, he said, I'm the guy that everybody hates. You know, the yeah. stewards are the, they really come down on. But uh, Joe Soward thinks he may be the best steward of all the stewards. Joe Soward's that the, the British journalist that mm. here pretty, uh, but I've seen him, and he said, "Yeah, their stewards are really capable." And he, he said, "Well, one day, guy said, well, want to mention one.' Timmy was the first one that they mentioned." Now, I'll tell you the story about Timmy. Um, when Timmy was oh a young guy, uh, his father, well, Teddy, takes him. He's in the McLaren pits in Monza, in Italy. And at the end of the race, Teddy says to Timmy, who's about ten years old or so, uh, and Timmy told me the story. He said, "Look, uh, first of all, we got to get out of here. Not you." because you're in dress, you're in normal clothes, but all the people with all the Marlboro clothes on, we're going to run down and we're going to lock ourselves in a garage because the Tafosi are going to be on the direction and they're going to literally rip our clothes right off our back. <laughs> See you later. So he, he, this 10 year old by himself in like a massive, you know, nutty Italian fan. And they go in the McLaren and they lock themselves into this. So they just don't get the clothes ripped off their, ripped oh off their gosh. back. Uh, but that's another place you want to go to go get the Monty. You got to get there. Yeah, uh, I, my my friend Dan, I had on for the he was the guest that I had uh, for the Monaco Grand Prix. He got to go to Monza 
2019, I believe, when uh, when uh, who won that? Uh, Gasly won. He was there yeah. for the for the up the the Gasly upset, and he yeah. said that it just because you know Alfatari is you know or it, they're they're based there in Italy, um, and so sure. he said that the place just erupted like it just erupted and he said it was one of the greatest days of his life was just watching that happen and, mm. and well then, says, you know the he clip, says like the, yeah. the atmosphere the people like i mean monza's it's an okay track it i think it's more technical than people let on and it's and it's just you know the, the temple of speed and whatnot but he says it's the it's the tifosi it's the people oh. and the atmosphere mm. that make that place just unreal it's insane. You know, the old days you'd see that they had billboards on the track and the people would climb up the back of the billboards and punch them out. So you see all these, you know, they see these heads. It's a big Coca-Cola uh, billboard with these heads sticking out. Uh, you know, climb up the back of the scaffolding of the, uh, but uh, you know, I was, we were in Milan. We stayed a couple nights in, but we got, didn't get to Mons, but I did get down to Imola. Uh, we drove down there one day to see the Senna Memorial. Yeah. Yeah. And the Villeneuve Memorial, uh, which is very near there, about 200 yards down the track. But um, I'll shoot you pictures as I took a bunch of them up on there. Have to, there's a there's a chain link fence there near the memorial, and I bet you there are 200 things uh, pinned up to the the chain link fence. Flags, you know, uh, pictures. Uh, it's just it, it, really something. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was trying to talk my wife into we went to Italy and Switzerland for our, our five year wedding anniversary. And I was just trying I tried every move I had to say, you know, we're really not that far away from some of the she's like, we're not going to look at a bunch of old car stuff <laughs> on really? our anniversary trip. And I was like, OK, well, you should have just traded time. her out for me at that point. Yeah, you know, I was like, right. yeah. Well, I'd go there in a heartbeat. I'd, that's one place I'd love to get to. Uh, yeah. and, now, wanna, yeah, wanna, especially now that it's famous. back on the, the calendar. I'm, I'm so happy to, to see it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. And and famous. We, what a crazy race we had there this year, too. Yeah, and you know the uh, – well, the other one, Leclerc won there the year before in a Ferrari. I mean, the place went bananas. Yeah. Uh, and then the one year, the year Ferrari died, which would have been uh, – was it 88 or 89 around there? What the year McLaren's were so good. Prost and Senna won 15 out of the 16 races, but I think it was, was it Berger that won the race in Italy? The only race they didn't win. And the place went absolutely bonkers. Oh, um, you know, Ferrari, how about this? Enzo Ferrari never rode in a plane, never rode in a train, never rode in an elevator, never went to Rome. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, uh, in the movie, have you seen the movie, the, uh, what's the one about Lamont this year with, um, Oh, uh, Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. Ford versus Ferrari. Well, anyway, at the end of the race, uh, you know, there's Ferrari up, uh, up there and he looks down on, uh, Ken miles and kind of gives him that look like buddy. Hey, I know you won the race and you're the real winner here. And I appreciate you. Well, let me tell you, Enzo was never in Lamont. I mean, he was just not there. Yeah. And, uh, but Hey, yeah, great movie. Very exciting. But, um, yeah, Ferrari winning in uh, winning in Italy is just out of this world, and uh, I think another, really, really another one that I would really like to go for that for that atmosphere is Mexico. That seems like such a yeah. such an awesome awesome circuit, and and again the fans just I mean they have they have like four hundred thousand people that show up over the over the weekend there. It's it's <laughs> huge. You know the old Mexican Grand Prix uh, races in the sixties 
Look at those on YouTube. The people would literally sit on the edge of the track. Oh and it's a wonder they didn't wipe out hundreds of people. It's amazing. Yeah. These cars are whizzing by, you know, five feet from these people that are just sitting there on the edge of the track. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's a great race. And my daughter was in Mexico City this year, loved it. She said it's a great city. Yeah, I've, I uh, really, really want to go. It's super high on my list. And it's yeah. really high up, too. I mean, I'm, I'm out here in Denver, and it's like, it's another like 2,000 feet above here. Well, great history. You know, the, the, a guy that maybe you get him on your podcast, that Joe Ramirez, who's the old mechanic for the Rodriguez brothers. The, the state, well, the circuit is named after the Hermanos yeah. Rodriguez, right, the yeah. uh, pet, uh, Ricardo. Ricardo was really fast, was killed in a way. He, he was in that famous 61 Italian race, the Phil Hill von Tripp's race. He was in another Ferrari. I think they ran about five Ferraris in that race. But he was in that race where was killed, I think, in maybe 62. And then Pedro Rodriguez was killed back in 70, I think, in the Norris Ring in Germany, I think, in a sports car sports car race. Uh, but they were terrific. And But anyway, Joe Ramirez, who's the, the great old mechanic who was uh, came over with them and then wound up at Terrell, because I knew he was there when Severe was killed. Then he was, at, he was uh, hired by Ron Dennis at McLaren. Uh, oh, he's with the father Fittipaldi brothers for a while before he went to McLaren. But great guy, you know, knows the sport, great old stories, selected steering wheels. He has a lot of the steering wheels from the famous drivers. Oh, wow. Lives in Spain now. But a wonderful guy, wonderful, you know, again, gentleman, great guy, but has all sorts of racing stories going back to the early 60s with the Rodriguez brothers. Um, but they, yeah, they were terrific. But uh, look at some of those old Mexican races. Oh, I'll have You'll to be go sure. back and do it. Yeah, yeah, that'll be a deal. So, did did you have any other moments from this uh, from the twenty twenty one season that stood out to you that you just would like to talk about? Well, I, there, you know, there were so many good races that I, they were, yeah. I, it's hard to. Uh, but I like the fact that they went to places which I had never seen. You know, Mugello, I think, was cool. Yeah, uh, racetrack. Um, a lot of newer tracks at Portimao in uh, Portugal, I thought was terrific. What a cool circuit. I, I mean, it's a yeah. little bit processional, but it's such a cool circuit. It's like, even like Zandvoort, it was nice to see Zandvoort back on the, on the calendar. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I love, I do, I mean, it wasn't the most, that race was Max's from, from the lights out to the end, but I just love when like a, there's a, there's that banked turn and, and like seeing like these newer circuits and like, it made watching the free practices really exciting because you actually saw the drivers trying new things and, and figuring out corners. And it's, it was really nice to see because it's always been the same circuits since I've started or, or for a lot of them, the same circuits or it had been circuits that they had known from other, uh, circ um, racing series, but having to watch them figure it out and, and then watching Alonzo completely do the opposite thing at the start of the race was yeah. just really cool. Well, Zanford, you know, when you go you go back in history in 1970, let me, let me see one minute, 1970, uh, Frank Williams is running a car for Piers Courage, who did pretty well finish second in Monaco. It was just a, a privateer car. As Enzo Rice called him, the garageists, you know, these guys. And Frank Williams had no money, but... Uh, they were doing pretty well, but then, then uh, Piersbury was killed at Zandvoort out in the dunes, and you could see the car, you know, smoking from the pits, and it was terrible. But uh, Frank Williams, what a story. I remember him at Watkins Glen. No, I mean, no, my didn't pay the drivers. A budget, I've heard two figures on the yearly budget, 
One is a hundred thousand. One is two hundred fifty thousand. Oh, you know, he can't can't pay the rent. They throw him out of his building. He's doing business from a phone booth, and in London. But boy, just stuck at it, and uh, you know, had one of the great racing. You know, finally gets the Saudi money. Saudi Airlines came along about seventy nine, and all of a sudden he had all the money in the world. Patrick Head comes in to design the car. Mm. Great designer. Uh, really, uh, what the, the FW six or 07, I forget the number, but he, uh, bringing Alan Jones, uh, you know, but then that's what started the great kind of 20 year run from Williams. I think they won like 10 championships. I know. But yeah, but I, I know they're really, yeah. they're really trying now that though. I mean, it's kind of sad that, and like RIP Frank, we lost them this year, but, um, and it's sad that they, they are no longer Williams family owned, but it is kind of nice to see that there's going to be a pretty big, uh, I guess a pretty big cash infusion back into that team. And it's cool to see Albon back in the, in a seat. I, I have high hopes for Williams. I've, I've always liked Williams. Oh, how can you do oh, that? oh yeah, abs- absolutely. And, um, you know, they were, it's such a great run there and uh, great engineering. Um, uh, you know, the, the, well, the name is, I think it's William Grand Prix engineering or something like that, but a lot of great innovations and you, you know, what you started to, talk about before in terms of the safety you know it, uh, teddy mayor and they asked him what would his legacy be and he said well he, he said it was safety bringing more safety that kind of made its way under road cars but they have stats now where you're 15 times less likely to be killed in a road accident than you were say 50 years ago for you know for a hundred you know things that they've done from uh you know seat belts to um uh, you know, rumble strips on the road to, you know, anti-lock brakes, the works. But um, yeah, safety has just been so much better. Uh, that Grosjean accident, I just said, no, I, that's, that's, that's a bad one. The and party it, was yeah. over, but then, oh. Uh, party was over. Yeah, I just said, no, that's, I'm, it's just, and he, kept, he just jumps out of the car. I was like, it was unbelievable. That was, yeah. and It was beautiful. I was like, oh my. It, it, was, it was beautiful, yeah. And then there was an accident where they, when they had carbon fiber, where John Watson had an accident at Monza, came out of the Lesmos, and then big accident, but uh, stuff's breaking off the car, you know, the wheels, everything's falling off, and uh, but the tub is intact, yeah. and he just walked. And, I remember uh, that one Alonzo crash. I want to say it was that. I forget where ooh. it was. Where he, it was like I want. It would have been when he was at Ferrari, but he. Or no, when he was, it was in the McLaren when they were so slow, but uh, with the Honda, but he goes into that and he, he flips over and there's like 130 G at the, at the impact yeah, point yeah. of impact. And he walked away. I mean, even, even Grosjean, they said was like 150 G when he hit the I, wall. I mean, he went through a metal guardrail. Like he was going, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just yeah, like, like a, like a. Like a planer, yeah. I mean, just, just shaved the top of the car. Just, and I, I love that. I love that he was one of the outspoken people against the halo, and it's the thing that ended up saving his life. Mm. Like, and he's yeah. like, "I've changed my opinion." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but, well, you know, the, the other thing is, you get used to things like the halo. Like when it came out, you say, "Well, that doesn't look very good," but you're used to it now. Yeah, and so no, no problem. And glad they have them. Uh, but there are always some people who kind of fought. Safety. I mean, like I say, Jackie X was kind of fighting. I think it was Jackie X was fighting Jackie Stewart um, when Jackie was, uh, you know, on the safety when he was trying to get more safety into the sport. And you know, you, you talk about when people talk about 
the great drives in Formula One history. The one they always talk about is Fangio with the, the Nurburgring in, in um, 57, which is out of this world. But yeah. what was that? Like he had like, he had to make up like minute or something like that. Well, what I, when I had the, the, my understanding was the Maserati had a very weak back suspension. So they decided they're going to fill the car with only half, half a tank of gas and uh, knowing he's going to have to make a pit stop. So he, he gets the lead, comes and makes a pit stop, but it was a long pit stop. It took him a lot longer. It was like 48 seconds or something. And then he has to chase down the two Ferraris of uh, Collins and Hawthorne on the Nürburgring. The seat breaks in his car, you know. <laughs> and he said uh, that was his, well, the, his greatest drive in the last, maybe the best drive in history. But he said, I'm, ne- I'm never, I don't want to go that fast again. And then he retired the following year at the French, at the French Grand Prix. But, uh, you know, tra- you know, chased them down, got Collins first, got Hawthorne and came in. And even they knew this guy's just in a yeah, world of his own. It was own. like he did, he did like half the race at quality pace. Like just, yeah, <laughs> he, he kept setting the lap record lap after yeah. lap. I think and it was down. It was like 20 seconds down at the end of the, at the end of the race. Uh, but they congratulated him. You know, they just said this guy, and he was, they were younger than he was. And both of them, unfortunately, were killed. I think um, Collins was killed, I think, at the Nürburgring the following year. And Hawthorne was killed in a road accident at the end of 58, or early 59, after he'd won the world championship. Uh, but the other race I started to talk about was Stewart at the, at the Nürburgring in 68. 68 is the year where every of the seventh of the month, I think four or five straight months, Famous drivers were killed. Jimmy Clark was killed on April 7th, and Mike Spence was killed in Indianapolis on May the 7th, and then hmm. who would have been else? What, Regis, Joe Slesher, there was a whole bunch of them right in row. So then he goes in horrible conditions at the Nürburgring. You wouldn't even have started the race today. Fog, mist, and uh, he goes, and, and they're thinking, well, this guy's, you know, he's, uh, all he cares about is safety, and goes out and drives the race, wins the, the race by four minutes in the rain at the Nürburgring. After all that carnage of other guys that he had lost, I mean, that, I, to me, that's right up there with the Fangio Nurburgring '57 race is the greatest drive yeah. ever. I feel like um, I feel like we witnessed one of those that season at, at the at the Brazil with Lewis. You got it. You, that, you absolutely uh, unbelievable. Just uh, yeah, tremendous drive by Lewis. I mean, when he passed twenty five people oh, <laughs> in the, over the sprint. Yeah. In the, well. A segue to Lewis from that, uh, that indication of the brain power, the spirit, the passion to continue on despite these odds we're talking about, the, you know, the oh, seven. Yeah. I mean, that and was, yeah. That I, was... Think th- I think this year was not a setback. And I think it's from your commentary here today, Jimmy, that I'm looking at it different, like you said, from the back way. And, um, you know, I think this is a setup for perhaps the most incredible Formula One season next year. I really hope I so. Think you could be, I think you could be very well, I get goosebumps here thinking about it. I yeah. think you're right. Cause if, Lewis, he, if he comes, yeah. Yeah, because Lewis was totally gutted, uh, but, you know, came out class-like, and, and I, he's either going to, it's going to destroy him, or he is going to come back with a vengeance. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not buying the, into the rumors that he's done. Yeah. I, I think he, I think he's playing, they're playing that up to really put the pressure on the FIA of saying like, you guys got to fix this seriously. Cause you're looking at losing the world's biggest superstar 
uh, I, but I don't, I don't think that no he'll way. ever walk away. He's got away. too much oomph. Like not, I think that's right. He I would think have to you're be right. A different person than the person we saw at the last four races of that season. I mean, like that person doesn't not come back. I'm sorry. That's it. I think that's exactly right. That's the absolutely correct analysis. Yeah. And, and 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 like you said, Jimmy, that you know it was, um, he is just going to come back and show that he is in fact the world's greatest race car driver with his eighth uh, championship. And I think there's going to be, like you said, it was, I didn't want to see Lewis win like that. So even though he deserved, but I think he is going to hands down be known as the greatest. We may never, certainly in my lifetime, I don't think we'll ever see another driver like him. And we may never in history. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 to me, he's the, he's the greatest of all time. There's now some of it. Yes. I, I just, I think you have to, and, uh, you know, he was trained. I mean, he comes out of the, you know, the McLaren, the, you know, the professionalism right from day one. I mean, he always spoke well to the press, um, and he was good right out of the box. I mean, what, he was third in his first race, what, five podiums in a row at yeah. McLaren, you know, so almost wins the world championship. And, you know, you can tell Alonzo, doesn't really like him, but he was the team in Alonzo's Alonzo back then, and he was just as good as Alonzo in 07. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Alonzo was two-time world champion just before that. And, uh, yeah, Hamilton, very unlucky not to win the championship in, in 07. Happy yeah. that Kimmy won. Yeah. I mean, did you hear all – did you hear – like there was all the memes on the internet of like – when when Lewis lost the way he lost this year, that like Massa's just sitting back with his hands behind his head, going, "It always comes back around." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be yeah, no, it's going to be fascinating, and uh, you know the the new regulations they always tend to change things. Um, you know, sixty six when they went to three liter in nineteen sixty six, that really changed things, and there was only one team that. Um, uh, Brabham went, went to got this Australian engine that this company called Repco, and uh, but it just happened to be the best engine that year. Uh, there were two years for sixty, so that, 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 but that was a change in the regulations. Um, so yeah, this is going to be interesting. You know, is Ferrari getting better? McLaren seems to be getting better. I mean, um, who, if you would have told me at the at the start of of twenty twenty one that that McLaren was going to be the only team that got a one two finish. How about that? Over the 2021 season. I just wouldn't have believed you. No, no way. Yeah, no, exactly. exactly. And, you know, you got a lot of these young drivers are very charismatic. You know, Lando, George. Be interesting how George does this year. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah. Claire, um, Saints drove beautifully this year. He kind of surprised people. I mean, uh, he, beat, he beat Leclerc, and Leclerc's supposed to be the yeah. second coming, you know. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot to – Lot to look forward to, I'll tell you. It's, that uh, battle is going to be so great to watch, and it's going to be really awesome to see Russell and <coughs> Hamilton go head to head, and like really see like because you know everybody was saying that Russell was the leader of the class of the of Verstappen, Sainz, Leclerc, Norris. He's he was supposed to be the best one, and he was yeah. he's the one that took the longest to get to a to a real car. So. Um, well, it's, yeah, it's going to be, it's really going to be interesting, I, I think. And it's a great sport, but it's all, you know, I think what you're, 
bringing Andy to your listeners, a lot of them are kind of young, younger listeners, which I didn't have when I was growing up. And it was, you just know nothing I could, I mean, you really had to dig for stuff. And, but now it's all out there. If you want to see, you know, the German Grand Prix in 1965, I mean, they're on, you can see it. So not only is it exciting this year, but now you can show people that there's a whole archive of information uh, and videos that they can see. Yeah. You know, on the old Nürburgring, what you want to watch there is the 60, let me think what it would be, the 67 German Grand Prix, because that was before wings, which were holding cars to the ground. So the cars would be airborne, yeah. you know, three times a lap, and you'd see them, and they were in these crazy positions coming over these, uh, coming over some of the uh, uh, parts of the Nürburgring. Mm. But holy smokes! A bit, but all that stuff is out there now. So I, the, the woman you had on uh, your American and Mexican Grand Prix, you could tell how excited she was. You know how, uh, you know, I'd like to. Oh, I'd like to go here and I'd like to go there, and and you can, like I say, Monaco. There's a way you can do that. Yeah. Uh, less, you don't have to be staying in the, you know, the nicest hotel there, and yeah. you can train and go up in the rock and. Uh, and the same with some of these. Cannon is a great race to see. Yeah, I've, I've, I've always wanted to go. I mean, it's just been a, it, that's a, been a big bummer. I hope we get uh, to have Canada back this year, and I hope we get Suzuka back. Uh, I've definitely really missed some of those really iconic tracks that we've missed in the last couple of years. Yeah, Suzuka's a great track. A lot of the drivers talk about that as being that. Was it RS? There's a number. RS 130 is a yeah. turn that they were pretty degree left hander at the very end there. Yeah, that they just they take flat out now. <laughs> they just ignore turns now. Um, oh, it's, it's really something. And, and you know, I, I can't, the one thing I can't get my head around is the the strategy because it's so technical. Yeah. And you and you have a steering wheel with 100 buttons on it and you've got uh, guys saying now, you know, pit now on the undercut, don't pit. Uh, and and yeah. how they figure it out is is beyond me because I mean, it's, it's just, just teams yeah. teams of people pouring over computer data saying now no not now now and then you know you have to watch all the traffic behind you because it's not even just your race that you have to watch but yeah you have to oh, yeah. watch all 20 of the other people's races uh, just to know when it's the time to bring your guy in i mean it's just it's just insane you know it's funny when i was up on the rocket monaco two year in 2019 um so I'm just standing there, uh, and the, the guy next to me, he's an Englishman, so I started talking to him. They said, where, I know, where are you from in England? He said, oh, I live in Milton Keynes. I said, Milton Keynes? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and Mecca. I said, oh, yes, I work for Red Bull, a young aerodynamicist. And I, he was there on his own dollar. And I said, well, have you gotten any other races? He said, yeah, I had to earlier in the year. Uh, they said to me, look, we got to get these parts to Bahrain. We're going to put you on a plane. And uh, we're going to fly out there with the parts, and you'll get to go to the race. And now you tell them when they uh, when they ask you, do you pack this box yourself, which is full of wings and stuff like that. <laughs> it's all okay, but but uh, he was a young Aaron who was paying his own way to go to the Monaco race and stand up on the rock with his girlfriend. Oh man! But uh, yeah, you'll get there, and yeah, you really will. And you kind of put your mind to things, and you'll you'll find a way to get to these places. Oh, and yeah. uh, uh, and your friends too. That I know that uh, on the podcast and that are your listeners, they'll they'll get to these places. Uh, well, we're, uh, we're getting more and more each year here in the states. I mean, on, next year I, I saw an update on the F one Instagram of the the circuit in Miami being finished. 
or the it's like a street dedicated street circuit or something, but they're definitely building a big old thing for it. Yeah, the guy he owns, he, you know, he went to the University of Michigan. I'm blanking on his name. He he's a developer of Tom Lovewood. He developed the West Side Rail Yards in New York City. A very wealthy guy. I know he donated 250 million University of Michigan the day after Charlie Munger donated 100 million. Oh jeez. Uh, but he he owns the Miami Dolphins, the Hard Rock Stadium there. It's going to be at the circus me around the stadium. Mm. Uh, now, the, the story I told you yesterday is uh, about New York, the New York Grand Prix. Yeah, that um, never – I remember when Bernie was really, really pushing for that. Well, here's the, here's the story. That, uh, the, uh, so we had – we lost the race at Watkins Glen after uh, 1980. Couldn't pay Bernie. Hired a lawyer out of Rochester, New York, named Dan Galay. Sent him to Paris to the FOCA meeting. They wouldn't let him in the meeting. A long story. But anyway, we had to pull the plug on the track. But anyway um, – so we're trying to get it back, trying to get the race back. And I had been out, as they say, out to Las Vegas to the race with Sam Posey in 82. And uh, a couple of weeks after, there's a front page article in the New York Times, full page above the fold, picture of a Formula One car with a promoter, Jackie Stewart, and there's going to be a race in New York. And the article says they're going to spend 50 million bucks, blah, 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 all this, that, and the other thing. They're going to have a race in New York. So uh, Mal Curie who was the head of the track at Watkins going to call me up. And he said, did you see the paper this morning? He said, yeah, I did. He said, well, if they get the race in New York, we're done. We're never going to get the race back to Watkins Glen. So he said, why don't you call this guy, see what you can find out. So I called the guy, told him who I was. And in the course of the conversation, he I said, oh, you know, I was just out in Las Vegas for the Grand Prix with Sam Posey, this and the other thing. And he said, who's Sam Posey? Now, what? everybody in the racing world knew who Sam Posey was. When he said, you know, who's Sam Posey? I said, that's all I need to know. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I got the phone. I called Mayor Curie. He said, this guy has no idea what he's doing. There's never going to be a race in New York. I can tell you that right now. So um, never got off the ground. They had all sorts of publicity about it. But the money was funny money. I mean, they were going to, we paid lump sum to Bernie, a million bucks to bring the whole circus. This guy's talking about 50 million. And that's just nutty stuff. That's just crazy money. I mean, what is it going to be uh, now? Hundreds of millions, I think. Yeah, well, sure. Uh but uh, they tried to, to get a race on the Jersey side of the river right. uh, by the park through like Hoboken. That just didn't work out. The logistics are so hard. Yeah. There. But, um, I mean, that, especially to do a street circuit in here in the States, I think you got to have more of the, the fans and the, it's got to be a bigger sport. Like, you're like, you can, you want to shut down what road? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And it's not just for a day, you know. They got to build all the barriers and stuff for weeks at a time, right? Out like it's well, yeah, yeah. Monaco. I, what does it take them six weeks to build everything at Monaco? Now Monaco does not pay a fee to Formula One. They're the only track that doesn't pay a fee, to, to my understanding, mm. because they want to go there. Formula wants to go there, yeah. so um, so they they. But it takes them. I mean, the boy, the setup was. They bring in all the stands and they bring in the you know, the screens and all the buildings and, and, but they do it. And it's like an erector set. I don't even know where they store the stuff, but, um, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Anything, you know, coming back, uh, you know, when they had the street race in Detroit, uh, the guy that ran the race was a guy named Bob McCabe and Bob McCabe, there were some buildings in Detroit called the, the Renaissance center, the Rensen, they called it big four cylindrical buildings around a, one big building. And one day I got a phone call and this guy's on the phone. He said, my name's Bob McCabe. I run on the Detroit Grand Prix. And I said, he said, somebody said, you know, everything about what they call 
Grand Prix asphalt, which we had used at Watkins County. It's a very fast drying uh, asphalt that you put down, cures quickly, and you need to you need to patch things. And we used it up there. Now I don't know how we got my name because I and I said, look, I really don't know anything about. It. I know we used it at Watkins County, but let me find out for you. So I put them in, in touch with somebody because they they were having trouble with some of these races with the uh, the asphalt coming up quickly, and there's pebbles and rocks going all over the place. And um, but uh, they had the race at Detroit for about four years, and my friend Bird was somehow involved at that point uh, because. Uh, Chrysler had bought, well, that was Lamborghini was somehow involved. I think one of the teams was using Lamborghini engines, and I think Chrysler owned Lamborghini at that point. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's through the city. You know, it's, those are always kind of uh, not great races, but they're all kind of streets of the city. Long Beach was pretty good. I mean, well, pretty good. Yeah, the, the Jetta street circuit this season was exceptional. <laughs> I mean, it seemed very dangerous, but it was still an exceptional race to watch. You know, I don't think they're going to use that again. Um, I, don't, I know they have a a, a, a three-year deal or a several-year deal, but, I, yeah, I don't think that's the permanent layout or even the permanent location. I don't right. even think it'll right. be the same. But I know it's early on the calendar. It's, it's like, in March. I think it's the second race or third race this season. Okay, yeah. But I don't – I'm not for certain if it's the exact same layout as it I – don't, I don't think it'll be. I, I don't think so. It's, it was, this was a stopgap. Right. Uh, it was yeah. No, I, I think that's right. yeah, Jim. I think that's. I think you're right about that. I think this is just a stopgap until they get the the permanent one built. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you love these new places. They got boodles of money to pay. Uh, you know, pay the teams and stuff. So they're they're going there. Who? Well, I mean, we we we're, we're man. I know we're running long, and I just I wish it would never end. But who do I've you? Got, I've got I've got time for you guys. I'm I'm I've got another forty five <laughs> minutes or so, but. Um, um, who do you, uh, who do you, who do you foresee what, what might be one breakout, uh, star or, or team or who do you have higher hopes for this, this coming season? Well, you know, McLaren was doing better at the end of the kind of tail off at the end of the year, but they were making some progress. Uh, you never know about Ferrari every, you know, every so many years they kind of resurface and they kind of get their act together. And, um, uh, um, I tell you, know, you Alp- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. As is to say, I was talking about Ferrari. I think that if they have a car with Sainz and Leclerc, like as a teammate, I think they have one of the overall best constructors teams. I mean, there's such so many good pairings actually this year. It's so exciting. Uh, you know, you have, you have Ricardo and, and Norris there and then you have, or I mean, Sainz and Leclerc there. And then you have Norris and Ricardo at, at McLaren and Russell and Hamilton now. I mean, there's just some there's there's some really talented teams. Uh, but I I feel like that we saw a lot with the toward the end of the season with Ferrari when they they overtook McLaren. Um, uh, the that they have a good team dynamic, like they're both knockout star drivers. It seems like but they also seemed to work well together that they were, cause there were several races where they were fourth, fifth, fifth, sixth. Like they were always right next to each other and they, they'd never had any big or close moments that I remember seeing. So I think that yeah. if they have the car, that's a real big force to watch next year. Oh, I think so too. And, uh, you know, the, 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 
you know, the Italian teams, they can be a little, a little wild sometimes. And, uh, you know, the Germans are much more, you know, methodical. Uh, but the Italians, it's, it's a lot of, you know, I didn't speak maybe the oldest, maybe more improvisation. I remember in, I was in the, uh, in, in 1980, at the Grand Prix at Watkins, and an alpha driver, Bruno Giacomelli, who the British used to call Jack O'Malley in Britain, but um, was leading from the pole in the alpha. And uh, with the, the old Ferrari mechanic, Carlo Chitti, I think, was in the team at that point. But anyway, I just happened to be standing on the pit wall when he comes screaming in from the lead right across from me. And they're screaming in their pits. They're going, go me do it. Go me do it. And uh, anyway, he peels out. And I said to this guy next to me, I said, what, what's go me do it? And he goes, hard tires. And uh, so anyway, but they're uh, exciting. I'll tell you, that's where you want to go. Uh, that's where, if I had the one place to go, I'd go, uh, I'd go sit with the Tifosi at Monza. I'll tell you that right oh, now. Yeah. They are fun. What you, they what? are what do you think, uh, Yuki Sonoda? What do you think he's going to be up to? Well, drove better at the end of the year, uh, didn't yeah. he? he? And I hope not great in the beginning. Drove better at the end. You know, you know, people forget they criticize these drivers. These are really, really great drivers. Oh yeah, and they're they young. Are. you know, they, yeah, and you hate when they get criticized because they're look. They've gotten to the top, you know, twenty drivers, and there are twenty slots in the world for these guys, and yeah. they've gotten into that twenty. They're really, really good, and there's. Physically, uh, when I see some podcast, I'm trying to think who I saw. That physically, these drivers are pretty equal. He said, "Where the difference is is in the mental strength of the drivers." Mm. Um, where that was, wasn't that Botas on the Beyond the Grid? He, I think right. that might have been Botas. I heard it somewhere, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, you get a young guy who maybe gets a little down in the dumps about things, and there's tremendous pressure. I mean, you, you could more pressure than you. Uh, as I say, remember. When I saw Prost sitting on the, the top of those tires, he was just biting his nails, just nervous as a cat, you know, the day I saw him there. And uh, it's much more stress and strain, I think, than you can. You know, Hunt used to be bonkers. Hunt, you know, Hunt was just crazy. And, uh, yeah. you know, at the end of 76, uh, Lauda had a big lead in the championship to the point where McLaren kind of gave up. They, well, they, I said they gave up trying to control Hunt. They used to mm -hmm. try to keep him under control. But kind of a Watkins Glen, and they, hey, you know, he uh, they just let him go. We're not going to win this thing. Of course, then he wins the race, <laughs> wins the Canadian race. He's back in it, and uh, but you see, he's just there, you know, nervous as a cat, and uh, but a great, great driver and a great character. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's really what stands out about like those those front end guys. I mean, even Max going for his first world title, even in his. I think when you saw him win and the emotion that he actually finally portrayed and actually showed some human emotion wasn't that that cyborg, but it must have been his like strategy to to not like maybe not let those nerves in as much as to just pretend that they don't exist. But I, mean, I, I think I think that's it. And look, he's ten years younger than Lewis too, or more. So, um, um, and I mean, we have to say it. He did deserve a world title, like. The, oh, sure. He yeah, was, yeah. if you look at the hard fact numbers between him and Lewis this year, I mean, he led more Grand Prix laps than all of the field combined this year. And, I mean, he, he, he had more pole positions. He had more race wins. But, but, it, but it was that fighting mentality that, that that's why I think Lewis has the fan base that he has is that even if he's not doing the best, which of his last – several world championship years this is by far one of his worst years 
or this last year was one of his worst years, but it's that never say die, never quit, never like the, the yeah. unrelentingness of him that that's yeah. why I wanted him. I still was willing for him and wanting him to win, even though I think Max did a better job. Uh, and they yeah. still entered the last race on equal footing, you know? So. A lot to be admired about both of those guys for sure. And, uh, but when he came out of the car and he acted the way he did as a true gentleman, Oh yeah. Uh, boy, I'll tell you that I, I, I said to myself right there and then I said, there's the best driver ever. I didn't in my mind. I mean, you know, you have favorites yeah. and of course a lot of objective. Uh, and, and like you said, if you work that problem backwards and you, and it was Lewis that won, you, I do not think you would see the same return from Max when he got out of the car. Yeah, no, no, well, probably not, but you know, he's younger, he, he kind of a little bit of a break. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I think you have to flip it. I think you have to look and I, like I say, I'm a big Lewis fan, but I would not have been happy had Lewis won, uh, won that the way Max, and nothing gets Max. Cause he's no. like, I say, he just, Great driver, going to go down as one of the best of, um, yeah, best of all time, certainly. But uh, I mean, he's he's you know, on. He he could be the person who beats Lewis's record. That yeah, you can't see anybody else doing it uh, at this point. You know, you go, well, he's great drivers. Leclerc, well, he has two wins, and yeah, uh, uh, you know, you go down the list, and Russell and Russell hadn't won yet, and. Uh, so no, I, Max is the only guy that, cause I never thought anybody would bring Schumacher's record. I thought that was yeah. really out of sight. Yeah. And now um, we're witnessing it, you know, and this could be the season. This would probably, this might be the season that we actually are. I mean, we're living history like right now, you know, I've got, oh, yeah. I've got goosebumps, but, right? Man. Like March, come on, let's I, get, get here, March. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> but I, you know, I think, uh, Andy, you're bringing a, doing a great service to your listeners in making this exciting forum because it is exciting, but it's always been exciting, exciting in yeah. different ways. But, um, and money has changed it. You know, there's, it certainly has. I'm, I'm glad the- we're starting to cycle back on that. Like, cause I do want to yeah. see the field tighten back up and be, you know, that it, it isn't just like, uh, you know, whoever spends the most wins the most, you know? And right. I, right. I want to, I want to see more i would like to i mean for, for for pretty much as long as i've been a fan of the sport it's always just been two people fighting two teams fighting for the world whether it's mercedes and ferrari or ferrari and red bull or you know and i i i but i i go back and i listen to all these stories of when there's three you know mclaren ferrari um and you know, like like multiple teams are fighting for the world championship. There's there's three drivers that could potentially win the world title. You know, yeah. and I, I want to yeah. get back to that and see. And I think we're I think we're starting to see that that midfield is really really. You know, there were several several races this season where it was six tenths of a second separate the top ten, the whole top ten. Oh, yeah, great. And the midfield racing was terrific. Just I mean, amazing. <clears throat> I mean. Vettel and, Vettel and Raikkonen had like a and Alonso. They all had like a hundred and thirty overtakes, oh, yeah. or something, by the end of this season. And, oh, yeah. and yeah. if if this aerodynamic, all these aerodynamic changes that are coming into play next year, um, you know, really do bring the field even closer and allow for more more of that overtaking, um, I think that's just going to be. We're just going to see a whole new era and a whole new fun more exciting like more seasons like the one we just saw i just i think are 
I hope are on the horizon. So too, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, they're doing, these are some really smart guys, Ross Braun, and they're great technical guys involved in the sport. Now they can know how to, um, you know, and from an engineering perspective, make things, make things better. And, and, uh, they know about aerodynamics. Um, you know, Ferrari in the old days, he didn't care about aerodynamics. He was just build a big engine. We don't care about, you know, we didn't care about anything about aerodynamics, suspension or anything. Just build a big, big engine and let it go. Um, but, but then, you know, you have to bring in, bring in, brings in like John Barnard and other designers in from England to, uh, when they knew they had to, when he had to make the change, he made the change. For example, he would never, uh, in the late fifties, he would never change from drum brakes to, uh, disc brakes. And then Mike Hawthorne took, took the brakes off his Jaguar, put them on the race car and they were much, much better. So, <laughs> and, and it, it, you know, they were, they were, you know, not competitive in the late fifties. Cause all of a sudden here comes the, you know, John Cooper. Oh, you know, speaking of Watkins gun and John Cooper, the last picture of Howard Hughes, that's known to be out there is a picture of of uh, Howard Hughes talking to John Cooper in the pits at Watkins oh, Glen man. around 1960. Yeah, Jeez. it's on the internet. You can take a look. Take last picture of Howard Hughes on the internet. You'll see it. You'll see it. So what he was doing there, who knows? But um, uh, you know, the Coopers come out, rearranging car, little bitty car, and then the Lotus comes out, and they ter- and they smoke everybody. But then Ferrari has to make the change from a. Um, front engine Carter and then come out with that 156, which is beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, boy, I tell you, that it just to this day, that's one of the most beautiful cars ever. Yeah. I do uh, think, I, I actually think that the new, the new regs, the new cars, the, at least the mock-ups that I'm seeing, like could be a, 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 a kind of return to a little bit more beautiful, uh, formula one cars. Not, not to say that these aren't good looking cars, but you know, they, they with all the fins and, barge boards and sides it does get to start to look a little spaceshipy yeah yeah exactly and they're much bigger than you think it's too huge. um he, i mean it's, yeah it's they're like bigger than a range rover they they inhabit more space than like a full range rover um yeah it, you, you, you i i didn't even realize how how big they were until i stood next to one and um wow they are just they're really much bigger than you look at those old the old Coopers of the old Lotus were 18. I think was the Lotus 18s and they're tiny. I mean, even, <laughs> even compared to the V8s, the 20, like the 2012, 2013, you know, like they're, they're almost half a meter bigger than even yeah. those. Yeah. Well, I, well, we'll I, I really do have to try and keep the, I, 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 man, I could just listen to you for, for hours on end, Jimmy, but we, I, I was really hoping we got to try and keep it under two hours. I was like, well, it's going to be an hour and a half, or this is going to be an hour and 40 minutes, so this is going to be, but man, well, listen, I, wait, wait. we'll talk again. Andy, I just, uh, I, I can't yeah, thank please. you enough for like giving us your time and, and I'd love, you're, you're welcome back on the podcast anytime you want. Maybe we'll check check back in with you in, in the season and, and get your take and, and and cozy up to several more stories of you just I could just listen to you for hours. Yeah, definitely. Hey, it's thrilled to do it. It's nice to meet your dad, Jim. And uh so uh yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon and, and good luck and uh I'll shoot you some I'll get all your contact information, Andy, I'll shoot you some pictures and videos and stuff. Man, so. I can't wait. And as soon as I, and if I when I get them I'll I'll definitely be sure to post them to the Americans Guide to the Formula One uh Instagram so all of you guys listening can go ahead and look at that. Uh any any last words you want to say or, or predictions or stuff you want to get on the the record here? 
Nah, probably don't predict. But uh, no, I just think you're doing a great service to your listeners and and bringing these to them because I think it's really expanding in America now. And uh, and as they say, the nice thing about what your generation has is that it's out there for you to look at, which I didn't have uh, years ago. And uh, well, I, and that's, kinda... that's definitely something that I, I just garnered from from spending this time listening oh, to definitely. you. Is just how lucky we are to have yeah. all of this at our disposal and. And I mean, we really owe it to to people like you. That the yeah. only reason I'm I'm even able to have this, or my dad was even able to find it on TV, is because of you know people like you, really passionate people, actually bringing cars here and keeping races in America. And and so we really, it's it's all it's 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 just an extension of all the you know the guys that came before us. So yeah, it's a real real treat. Uh, uh, I mean, I just feel like I've gotten this huge injection of passion to to uh study more yeah i mean your knowledge base is mind-blowing and to hear you rattle this stuff off is so encouraging i can't, I can't remember what happened we me and my dad we have like the, the we'll let you behind the scenes here we do we spend like an hour two hours three hours re-watching races that we watched a couple of days ago and you're like back in 1950 like you're remembering like the dates and like oh man it's just it's just yeah. an awesome awesome to have you well you can you can you'll check it out you'll find it's all wrong and i'm losing my mind here <laughs> well even if it is well i mean well, it, no, well, I just uh, we'll, I, we'll enter in together. You, it was so. It was so. I don't think anybody's going to fact check you because of how how just uh, confidently and 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 quickly it was there for you. So yeah. it was just so awesome. Yeah. Well, sweet. that was that was yeah. That was tons of fun, guys. So uh, yeah. listen, we'll do it again anytime. Listen, happy to talk anytime. So a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks. again for your time, Thanks. and I, I look forward to okay. it. I, I hope you have a, a really great time, and we'll uh, we'll we'll catch up. When we do. Terrific, Andy. All right. Okay, we'll see you, Jim. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye, guys.